Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time, and I thank you for these ladies pushing through in a busy week to come out and to hear your word, to fellowship, to learn from one another. And so, Lord, we just ask you, bless this time. Give me the gift of teaching, Lord. We also pray for Israel. We continue to pray for them, Lord. We pray for peace of Jerusalem, Lord. We pray that you would move their hands and their minds in the decisions that they make, Lord. And we pray for those that... um, we, we just pray protection upon everyone, Lord. We don't want to see anyone hurt and suffer. And it's, it's so big and so hard to understand all of it, Lord. But we know you're in charge, and we thank you for that. So be over all of it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so open your Bibles to Third John. So we are finishing up our study in First, Second, and Third John, titled Know Him, Light, Love, and Truth. So 3 John is titled, Know the Truth and Imitate Christ. As we begin, let's remember that walking in truth affects our outcome, how we actually respond and behave. So let's read it. It's a short letter, and we'll go ahead and read it. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So we began in our very first study sharing about the Apostle John writing these personal letters to the church um, and to us. And we talked about how important these letters are and how they can be read and reread. And we talked about text, emails, and they're all great, but a personal letter, like in the mail, is really a treasure. And I took this to task when I spoke on it back then, and I you know, bought the sealing wax and all those stamps, and I've been, had a lot of fun with them, and I've been writing letters to people, and um, most importantly to our son, who's been wayward, and I've been like writing encouragement letters to him, and I've seen fruit in that, and so that's, that's been kind of cool, so I encourage you to think about that and remember the personal touch of a letter. The Apostle John has written us these three letters to declare some things to us, And I pray that you've taken them to heart and will apply them to your life. Jesus is light, love, and truth. And in these letters, we have been encouraged to walk in light, walk in truth, and walk in love. 
Now, in 3 John, we're going to give, be given three examples, two of which shows us these truths of walking properly and one that shows us the opposite. So let's begin. We're going to be looking first at 3 John 1 through 8, uh, verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So the apostle John, the aged and authority as an eyewitness to the life of Christ, wrote this letter to Gaius, who is believed to be one of the members and leaders of the church in Asia Minor. Gaius, Gaius is mentioned as beloved four times in this book. You'll see it in verse 1, 2, 5, and 11. He was well-loved by John. He was dear to him. He was esteemed. John had some great things to share about him as an example to the body then and to us as well. And right away in verse 1, we see Gaius was in the truth. Verse 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. And in verse 2, John wants Gaius to prosper in his health as much as his soul prospers, meaning he is doing so well spiritually and maybe not so well physically. Maybe. We're not sure. But it goes to show it's not always sin or lack of faith that causes poor health. John desires for him to be as well in all areas of his life. And physical health is such a blessing. And taking care of our bodies is important. First Timothy 4.18 says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is uh, and that which is to come. And so it profits little, but it does profit. So our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we should take care of them. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So our bodies have been created and are a gift from God, as you know, the temple of the indwelling spirit, Holy Spirit. And as mentioned, we should take care of them. However, our spiritual health is much more important. And I read somewhere that if our bodies were as healthy as our spiritual lives, we may be very sick indeed. <laughs> Gaius, he was commended for his spiritual health. And obviously there is a balance, and we do what we can, focusing ultimately on truth and love, as we have been exhorted to do through this study. And when the world presses in, as it will, and the focus gets off the spiritual and onto things that it shouldn't, remember Colossians 3, 2, and 3. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Third John, uh, verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so as opposed to what we studied in 2 John, being aware of false teachers and those who come to deceive, John is commending Gaius for walking in truth. John knew that Gaius walked in truth because the brethren came and testified of the truth that was in him. His walk of truth was noticed by others, and they could talk about it because they saw it. And walk there means to make one's way, to progress, to make due use of opportunities. So it's spiritually active in these verses. And so we can ask ourselves, do others see an active walk in us? 
And in verse 4, John says he has no greater joy than to hear his children walk in truth. He is commending Gaius as a spiritual child of his, as someone who has brought him great joy. John had been part of the church in Ephesus, and it was a great blessing for him to know his converts were still walking in truth. And when we mentor someone and we see them thrive, it's such a blessing. We have great joy. And I've mentored quite a few girls through the years, and some really take hold of it and some don't. And when they do, gosh, it's so exciting. You're like, wow, you get it. You show up. You come. It's, it's awesome. And um, we came Saturday night to the youth worship night, and that was such a blessing to see um, that as the church here is passing the baton to the youth, that they're taking it. Um, and many of us have mentored our own children and grandchildren as well, and there truly is no greater joy than to see them take hold of the truth of God's word. All else pales in comparison to that when you raise your children. And then there's that great sorrow, of course, on the flip side, if they're not walking in truth, as many of us have experienced. So we continue to pray, pray the scriptures over your children, intercede for them, keep the lines of communication open to the best of your ability, and and just keep remembering the scriptures are uh, true and God is faithful. And one verse that I always pray over our kids is Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an, an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so never give up praying. Third John 5 as we continue, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. And so there's a lot in these verses. Um, this was a great compliment. You do faithfully whatever you do in verse 5. And whatever God gives us to do, we should do it faithfully. Jesus said that when we see him face to face, some of us will hear these words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You, will f you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And that's in Matthew 25, 21. Third John verse 6 tells us once again how Gaius bore witness to the truth. Third John 7 tells us nothing was taken from the Gentiles, but from the believers. And so as believers, we are the ones that are to support the work of the ministry, not non-believers. It's not their obligation. It's our obligation, our responsibility. Third John verse 8 tells us we can be partakers, fellow workers in what others do for the truth. And I know Pastor Jim has said this many times. You guys are all partakers of all the money that goes out to missionaries everywhere. 35% from the church goes right off the top to missionaries. And all of you and all of us, we get to partake of that. Um, we're fellow workers in what others do for the truth. And as we receive those in truth, as we give, as we aid them in their ministry, we partake in the rewards. We are co-laborers for the gospel. What a blessing. Matthew 10, 40 through 42 says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. 
He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And so as we continue, John commends Gaius for receiving those who are true teachers of the word, whether known brethren or whether they're strangers. And in Second John, we were warned against giving aid to the false teachers, and here we're encouraged to aid sound teachers. John praised Gaius for his hospitality, and this may seem somewhat small, but it is not to God. It is a big thing to God. This is a practical outworking of the essential command we have been given to love one another. It is love in action, and we are to put feet to our faith. Gaius took in those who were walking in truth, doing the Lord's work, missionaries, etc., going around sharing God's word. He had what appears to be the gift of hospitality. And as we continue, we will see, however, that we are all called to this. We are all called to hospitality. Now, so many nowadays get put up in hotels instead of people's homes. It's people come in and they prefer a hotel or they just don't, you know, need to come into a home. And taking in people like this, it's such a blessing to your home. We've done it with our children. It's an example to your children, and it's a blessing for you. You learn other cultures. Um, you hear God's word spoken at your dinner table. Your kids see the work of God, and they hear the stories of God's faithfulness. And we've kind of got, all gotten used to our own spaces. But sharing our homes may be something we may get back to as times get tougher. And it, it's, it's a great thing to share your home. And as these verses say, you are fellow workers for the truth. You receive rewards doing God's work, heavenly rewards. Hebrews 13, 1, 2 says, let brother, brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And when our kids were little, we were asked to take in a, a young woman our pastor called us, and he said, this woman's passing through. I don't know her. She needs a place to stay. I don't even know where she's going. He didn't know much about her. And so we're like, okay. We had four little kids, and we just took her in. Um, and she didn't really have a specific place she was going next. She's only stayed for maybe three, four days. Um, but she was such a blessing, playing with the kids, helping out. And we never heard from her again. And so I think, well, maybe she was an angel, you know, coming in to just help me with all these crazy kids. So it was a blessing. <laughs> so as we continue with this topic of hospitality, uh, let's look at 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So we are all called to this. Romans 12, 10 through 13. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So the ancient Greek word for hospitality is literally translated love for strangers. In addition, given is a strong word. The idea is to pursue people you don't know with hospitality. And so this is love in action. 
And a side note, we discussed last time about the laying on of hands for that epi experience of the Holy Spirit. And some of you did come up for prayer last time. Um, We're going to do it again today if you missed out. And I was thinking as I was looking into the gifts, I thought hospitality was a gift. And um, as I researched it, I realized we're all called to it. So it's really not a gift. It's something we're called to do. But it could fall under helps or serving, those gifts that are listed as gifts according to the word of God. So I also made a sheet for you to tie into last time when Kim taught. She had a sheet on the Holy Spirit, and this one gives you where in the word to find these gifts listed and what they each mean. And so that's up here for later if you want to grab one. And each of us has a spiritual gift for sure. And so if you want to receive prayer afterwards for the epi or upon experience of the Holy Spirit that we discussed last time, um, we are going to be available after this teaching. So Gaius is an example of walking in truth, right conduct, conduct, walking in love and walking in light. And so what a great example for us. Now we go to the second example in 3 John, which is not one we want to imitate. 3 John verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, But Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So Diotrephes was doing several things that were not godly. And in each thing mentioned, we're going to go through them and give you the opposite or God's way. Um, what he wants for us and what we are to imitate. But the bigger picture I want to share with you first and foremost is that from my studies, Diotrephes is considered a part of the church here and a believer. And as we have studied previously, only God knows the heart. But there are definite issues here that we can learn from with this man. First, Diotrephes wanted to have the preeminence. So to be up front and center, to have people look to him. It is the sin of pride. The the word tells us that we're to do the opposite. One commentator said, This is the original and greatest of all sins. It is the sin of Satan, who was unwilling to be what God had created him to be, and who desired rather to be like the Most High. And you can find that in Isaiah 14, 14. It is the opposite of the nature of Christ. So as we read in Philippians 2, 6 through 7, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Mark 9, 35 says, and he sat down, called the 12 and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And so that's what we're called to do. We're not called to want to be in the limelight or be up front and be the, you know, the first person everybody sees. And so it's, we're called to be humble. And I believe our pastors here are such a great example to us of not wanting to have the preeminence of truly being servants, each and every one of them. They will clean toilets. They will do yard work. They visit the sick. They do a lot of things that are unseen. And we want to be the same. We want to be servants of God. Romans 12.3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. 
So Paul goes in Romans, he goes into some of the gifts in this chapter, if you continue to read on, which are on the sheet that I have for you. And we're not to try to be better than someone else. We are to be what God has called us to be. Second, Diotrephes does not receive the brethren, those who are or supposed to be his brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 12.10 tells us, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Third, Diotrephes, it says he was prating against them with malicious words about the brethren. So it means he was talking utter nonsense, bringing forth idle accusations, making empty charges, and using wicked and evil words. That's pretty strong. Proverbs 6.14 says, Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Proverbs 6.16, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And it goes on to list them. But in Proverbs 6.19, it says, A false witness who speaks lies is what God hates, and one who sows discord among brethren. And so that is just a very serious thing. And, and we do take it serious here. We've had issues here. Not very many at all where there has been discord sown and the leadership here takes it very seriously and they take care of it because we are to be together. We are to be unified. Um, but on the other flip side for us, don't believe every accusation you hear or read about somebody and don't so be the one to be sowing discord among your sisters or brothers in Christ. Take your issue to God first, then second, one-on-one, then go from there. And it may need to go to leadership. It rarely does. We usually can take care of these things as believers between us. And you can look at Matthew 18 for more information. But Ephesians 4:29 through 32 is great verses for us to remember as we work with people, as we maybe have to talk with them about something. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so we are to filter all through Philippians 4.8 when you hear things. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Fourth, Diotrephes does not encourage those to take the brethren in, but actually he forbids them to. And we know that the word tells us, which we just talked about, hospitality. We're called to take the brethren in. And fifth, he puts them out of the church, shaming them, basically saying, you're not part of us. He's being divisive. And Titus 3.10 says, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Then we have this next verse in 3 John, verse 11, right after he tells us about Diotrephes. And I find that interesting. It's the very next verse. 3 John 11, beloved, and he's talking to Gaius, and that's to us too, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does, is, he who does good is of God, but he who does 
evil has not seen God. And so only God knows the heart. Uh, we can draw our own conclusions on diatrophies, but more importantly, we do know we are to imitate what is good. And that's the part we can do as believers. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Hebrews 6.12, That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So it's great to have examples we can follow as they follow Christ. But ultimately, we are to imitate Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So looking unto Jesus. That's what we should always be doing. So now we're going to go to our last example, another good example in 3, 3 John verse 12. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. And so here's just two short sentences about Demetrius. And once again, we see the word truth. Others see it in him and may they see it in us. Truth can't be overstated and it's not overstated in these letters of John. He talks about it again and again, but you really can't overstate it because truth is imperative. Demetrius had a good reputation in truth. And so as we finish up, let's talk a bit about these last two verses, 3 John 13 and 14. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So John wants to tell it face to face, face rather than, than to write what is on his heart. Um, it's interesting that we began with letters and the value of them when we started this uh, series on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But here John does show us there is a time and place for face to face conversation. And that was definitely more challenging 2,000 years ago. But for us today, we have many face to face opportunities but we can hide behind a text, behind an email, or social media post. And so please do not text when there are some super heavy conversations you should have face-to-face. -face. It's so easy to just say, well, I'll just tell them. And, and sometimes it, it gets ugly. We've seen it. Um, but we know that when you do it by writing, and it's a serious thing, they don't hear your tone they don't see all your nonverbal communication. And you have heard Pastor Jim many times give you the statistics um, on nonverbal and verbal communication. And I'll give them to you again. Out of 100% of your communication, 55% is nonverbal. So it's people are picking up how you look. What does your face look like? You know. So what are you focused on, not looking at someone, uh, your mannerisms that you may be given off? And 45% is verbal the actual words. But out of those actual words, 38% is your tone that people are picking up on. And they're really only hearing 7% of what you are saying. And if you're married, you know that a lot. You <laughs> don't listen to your husband. You're like, yeah, 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 I heard you. But you really didn't listen to the words. 
And then you have to ask them again because you're like, oh, I didn't hear that. But you weren't listening. So a lot of it is we just pick up on tone. Oh, that was a nice tone. That was a bad tone. Maybe I need to pay attention. But um, if you're married or have children, if you're in the workplace, in any relationships, pay attention to your communication and how it's received and how you are receiving it. And so John wants to address the issue with diatrophies face-to-face, no doubt. He mentions it in verse 10. And we must take heed, especially for very serious situations. Get together and do it face-to-face. Exodus 33.11 says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. Deuteronomy 34.10, But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face-to-face. Jeremiah 32.4, And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And I love how he ends. Our friends greet you, greet the friends by name. And it's so beautiful when someone uses your name, when they get it right. I mess up on you guys many times. But it's endearing, and it can be a blessing in many ways when your name is personally used. He also says, peace to you. And this letter is about contention and conflict. We went through that with diatrophies. Yet John appropriately ends the letter with a desire and an expectation for peace. And as Christians... We can and should have a sense of peace even in the midst of difficult times. And Christians have the resources in Jesus Christ to have peace even in unsettled seasons. So we are very blessed. So may we know truth and imitate him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word, Lord. We thank you for just your blessing upon our day that we can be here in peace and safety, that we do have peace, and that you do give us peace in unsettled circumstances, whether they're personal in our families, whether they're um, in the church, whether they're outside of our family members. And we do pray, Lord, as we come upon this Thanksgiving week and as we go together to meet with our family and friends, that there would be peace that any reconciliation that needs to be done can be done, and that it would be a beautiful time of celebration. So just continue to keep our eyes on you. Help us to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.